Hello, and welcome to Brokenomics. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk. Now, Elon Musk, I know, is a um, somewhat controversial character. A lot of people have uh, divergent views on him. I've got to admit, I quite like the guy. Um, he's made me a lot of money, so I, I like that. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story on that. But um, but, but Elon Musk is, is an interesting character. Um, he's had um, 10 children by three different women. He started six uh, billion dollar businesses. It's a little bit difficult to value uh, the boring company and Neuralink, which we're coming to talk about. Um, but at very minimum, there's there's four times he started a billion dollar company, which is hugely impressive. Um, it's seven if you count OpenAI, um, which he was a, a founder of. And um, actually, he's just started another company, um, XAI, which will very likely be number eight. So this is a truly stellar um, business success record. Um, I think it is one which is often overstood. A lot of people, um, when I talk to them about Elon Musk, um, they say things to me like it's all subsidies or something like that. It's, it's, it's not really. There is an element of that that came in in the beginning. But nevertheless, um, it, there, is a, there is a remarkable character there, and it's worth just taking a look at his story and some of the interesting things that he's done along the way. And actually what prompted me to do this now was there's been a lot of chatter um, in these uh, in these last few weeks, about uh, his 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 rebrand of Twitter going to um, X um, dot com, and um, I, I think there was a lot more to that than the surface level analysis is suggesting. A lot of people are talking about that as in, oh, Musk has done something stupid because he's he's diluting the value of the brand and all that kind of stuff. No, actually, I think there is there is far far more going on there. Um, but but we come to that at the end when we talk about Twitter, which is which is one of his latter companies. Um, oh, actually, yeah, and the story about how I made money from Twitter. Uh, uh, sorry, not from Twitter, for, for, from Elon. So so basically, um, it was 2019, and um, I'd left the city at that point, and I was sort of because my work had always led me to be UK focused because that was our mandate. I was only then just starting to look at the broader macro environment. I was starting to build my macro thesis, um, which ended up being very much focused around um, liquidity flows, um, and that largely came out of the US, um, the, the large amount of liquidity that was coming out of the US. And that then pushed me to start looking at things that would respond well to liquidity, which was crypto, um, long duration tech. Um, what I mean by long duration tech, I mean technology companies where the um, flow of future profits and cash was going to be pushed out into the future um, and therefore that would benefit from a cheap value of time expressed through the interest rate and would respond very well to an injection of liquidity which would have been you know quantitative easing. Um, now it turned out I was, I was right on that because of course um, that was 2019 I was building this macro thesis and then 2020 as we know there was a massive injection of liquidity. So I, I was looking in the right area so I had started to take a look at NASDAQ, which was a change for me, like I say, because I'd always been UK focused before that. And what made me take a look at um, um, Tesla in particular and, and Elon Musk is because I'm also very plugged into the, obviously, the, the, the political side of thing on our, our kind of sphere. And I was watching um, a Stephen Crowder skit on, on Elon, where they were sort of making fun of him. And, and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting because I was seeing him bashed at the time all over the place by the left and the right. And that's quite unusual. You don't normally see individuals getting attacked 
by people on the left and the right at the same time. That, that's kind of odd. That Everything seems to, seems to tribalise on this. Um, but for whatever reason he was. So then I thought, okay, well, let, let's see what's going on here. Let's, let's take a look at, um, at Tesla. And at first glance, a very superficial level analysis, it, it looked kind of absurd because here's this car company which is producing fewer cars than, say, Honda, um, but was valued almost as much as them. And so it looked on, on first blush to be um, particularly overvalued. And my, my first reaction was, okay, well, this is, a, this is a shorting opportunity. I can go short this stock. But I have a, have a discipline where if I'm going to make an investment, I want to understand the counter argument as well as the as the pro argument. I want to make sure both arguments are clear in my mind so that I understand so I made sure I haven't missed anything. And when I started to um, seriously focus on the positives of Tesla, I'd started to realize that actually the, the narrative was just wrong and that my, my first reaction was completely wrong, that this this was an absolute monster of a company coming down the track and its future earnings would be would be huge. Uh, and I kept on looking at this and, and I mean I was I was I mean, I was spending every waking hour on this. I mean, I was waking up in the morning, um, looking at this until in, until like midnight, and then and just repeating that day after day. I mean, what was I doing? I mean, I was reading um, all the financial data I could get on it, any analyst reports I could get, which was a lot less now that I was out of the professional world because I couldn't get access to a lot of stuff. But you can still kind of you can still kind of access a lot of interesting reports. Uh, I was building my own financial models of, of Tesla, and I was watching loads and loads of interviews of Elon because you know that's a great thing to do whenever you're looking at a company is to uh, to watch interviews with the the CEO to get a measure of the man um, and I was looking at this more and more and I was thinking okay everybody hates this stock it was um, even back then it was one of the most shorted stocks I mean it, it has now been the most shorted stock in all of history um, but but a lot of people were, sh were shorting this um, Reaction was negative. Um, most analysts were incredibly negative. Most investment houses were negative. And I kept on looking at this thinking, why is what I'm seeing so different to the vast majority of people out there? And eventually got to the point where I just thought, nope, everybody else is wrong and I'm right. And I, I didn't just make an allocation. I went all in on it. Um, I, I, I decided, yeah, this, this is the thing. Um, and I and I started buying at twelve dollars a share, uh, split adjusted. I think it was like one ninety seven at the time, but there's been some 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 um, um, stock splits along the way. So I started buying at twelve dollars a share, and I didn't finish buying until it was much higher than that. But it's now at close to three hundred dollars a share. So um, that was nice, um, and it's um, yeah that that put, gives you a sort of a, a rosy perspective on the chap. Um, from from that perspective. So anyway, so I've, I followed it quite close because e even though I've I've dialed down the allocation now um, to, to to go into various other things, uh, basically um, Bitcoin and gold um, and and a few other things as well. Um, I have watched this one very closely because for a long time and, and it continues to be a a large part of the portfolio allocation. So I keep a very close eye on what happens on it. I, I'm not quite as deep into it as I used to be. I mean, it, it used to be literally the case where they couldn't build a new wall in one of the factories without me knowing about it. I was I was that deep into, um, you know, the, the the real minutia of the news flow when it was, well, basically, you know, a, a an investment for me, you know, bigger than the house. Um, so so it deserves a lot of focus and a lot of attention. So I I, I think I've come to know this guy reasonably well. Uh, there was a time when I could w watch him give an interview on one of his companies, and you know, I, I could pretty much pause the video and 
and give the answer that he was going to give, and it was you know pretty accurate. So I think I got inside his head, um, and, and I do think he's an interesting character, uh, and, and it's worth talking about. So so this is going to be an episode basically just 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 running through the history of him and the companies, and and my observation on the business logic as we uh, as he went through his um, business and, and, and career, um, you know, ventures uh, as it were. Right. So let's start off. Um, he was born in 1971, so he's, he's, a, he's a Gen Xer, um, sort of mid, middle middle stage Gen Xer. So he was born in 1971 in South Africa. Um, as far as I can tell, his dad did not own a mineral, an emerald mine. Um, that is something that you often hear. I think his father might have had shares in a in, a, in an emerald mine, but that that's about as far as it goes. He, he didn't own a mineral or, or own 50% of it or anything like that, which is one of the common things you hear. What I do know is that he had a very a very bad relationship with his father. Um, he did actually live with him because his parents separated, and then um, Elon felt sorry for his father because his father was living alone. So so Elon volunteered to go and live with him for a while, and um, I, I I don't know the details of it, but I know that he was frequently left alone, um, and his only companion was was books. So he did. Um, he did a hell of a lot of reading, and he's an inquisitive, intelligent guy, so he did a hell of a lot of reading. And the other thing he does say, that even though he does have a very bad relationship with his father, he uh, his father was an electrical engineer. And his father, when he did interact with him, would teach him about um, principles of physics and, and electrical engineering, which obviously um, put um, Padilon in, in, in quite good um, stead for, for the companies that he built thereafter. Musk developed a... An early interest in computing, and, and he taught himself video programming. And, and actually, at the age of just 12, he uh, wrote a, a, a video game in BASIC, uh, and it was called Blaster. And he sold that to a, a, a PC and office um, technology magazine, I think it was, for about $500. And this was, this was back in 1983, when he was just 12 years old. He went to the um, Pretoria uh, Boys' School in South Africa, um, he survived a vicious beating from a, um, um, a, a demographic in, in, in South Africa that, that attacked him one day and, and, and beat him almost to death for, for absolutely no reason. It was just, you know, they, they just saw a white boy walking alone and they, they decided to attack him and, and beat him very heavily. But, you know, uh, he, was, he was fortunate that he, uh, he was able to, to, to come back from that. He describes a fairly lonely period, and we talked about his reading. He did read a lot of sci-fi. He's a big fan of the um, the Foundation series and the Culture series. In fact, he, he often names his um, his starships that he has now on um, ship names from the from the Culture series. Um, what he did describe is that he he had an, a bit of an existential crisis. This is something that is, is common to young men. Um, you know, films like Taxi Driver you know, will, will show you that dynamic, and I'm sure um, any young men watching will know there is a period you tend to go through early in life, which is like, you know, what is your what is your focus? What is what is the point of this? You know, what are you doing? And he says that he found the answer to that question himself by reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which, um, if you haven't read it, it's it's a fun sci-fi book. It's it's basically describing how the Earth is actually a supercomputer that had been working on solving the um, the the, um, the answer to the meaning of 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 life, the universe, and everything uh, for for billions of years. Anyway, when it when it finally spits out the the answer, the answer is forty two. At which point they then realise that they haven't 
um, done the preliminary step of working out what the question you're supposed to ask is. And as Musk observes, this is actually a, um, a philosophy book dis disguised as a sci-fi book. And, and what it is essentially saying is that you need to figure out um, what, your, what your question is, what your purpose in life is. And so he then started thinking about it. Okay, what's my purpose in life? What do I want to do? And he decided that the, the answer had to be, and, and again, probably um, referenced by um, his love of sci-fi, was his mission in life was to make life multi-planetary, which, you know, is a, is a um, fairly lofty goal. This is a bit like young boys deciding they want to be an astronaut and all that kind of stuff. But in this particular case, um, well, he was Elon Musk, so, so he managed to, um, to make a good go of it. And so, so there we go. That's his, that's his life goal now set, make, make life interplanetary. So anyway, after high school, Musk then moved to Canada. Um, he studied there. Um, he did that because he didn't want to go into um, mandatory military service um, in South Africa. So he left and he went to um, California. Um, he, he stayed there for a while and he, he did some qualifications. And then he um, went over to the US. I think he started initially as, a, as, a, as an illegal immigrant, but he um, managed to, um, he, he managed to um, get his papers in order um, eventually. Um, he, he then earned two bachelor's degrees from the University of Pennsylvania, one in physics um, and one in economics. Um, oh, actually, the economics one was from the, um, the, the Wharton Business School. Um, and then Musk moved to um, California in 2002, um, where he then attended Stanford University. He didn't finish it because he decided to pursue a career in business instead. And his first business was something called Zip2. And this was back in 1996. And he did that with his brother, uh, Kimball. Zip2 was a, was a city guide software company that provided things like um, you know, business directories, uh, maps, directions, all that kind of stuff. So basically, it was a proto version of um, Google Maps, effectively. He, 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 that was the first company that you could say, you know, I want to go from here to here, and it would you know, plot you out a, a route and do that kind of stuff. So this was um, something that we, we're used to now, but that, that was revolutionary at the time. Um, but essentially, there was nothing that different about this particular company because, of course, what he's thinking about there is basically taking the analog world and creating, recreating it in a, in a digital setting. So this is at the moment we have um, directories, we have these like yellow, well, back then we have these yellow pages type things and these, these phone books and all the rest of it. And he was basically just taking that and creating a digital version. We had maps and he was creating a digital version of that and then he was starting to add functionality on, on the back of that. Um, nothing especially remarkable in this first one, but he was um, one of the very first to do it. And so um, he managed to then um, sell that um, for um, quite a bit of money um, later on, it, I, th I think it eventually, um, oh, what did it sell for? It was something like 300 million, I think he, 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 the, the, the business was sold for. Um, it, it, I mean, it won various contracts along the way. It won um, contracts from the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune. Um, it did a deal with Google. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that tech got transferred across to there. Um, so doing many things. And it was, um, it was eventually sold and okay, in 1999, um, so was that three years after he started the company? Yeah, it was it was 300 million, and he sold it to Compaq. Um, yeah, 
which was nice. And he, he used the proceeds of that uh, to do a couple of things. Um, one of the first things he did was buy a McLaren F1, you know, the, um, um, the really sexy cars, um, that were all the rage back then. Um, and on his initial drive of this um, McLaren F1, and, and these things cost like half a, half a million each, um, on, his, on his first drive of it, he, he managed to crash it. And um, when, um, when his brother came to pick him up, he found him um, laughing uproariously by the side of the road. And he said to him, you know, um, why are you laughing? You've, you've just crashed a, a McLaren F1. And he said, no, that's not the funny thing. The funny thing is it wasn't insured. Um, so glad he could see the humour in it. And I guess if you just had a, you know, a 300 million payday, um, you know, that helps. What he also did is from that, he then created something called X.com, which of course we've, we've heard about more recently because he's rebranded Twitter to that. And it was an online uh, payment company, which would later become PayPal and then become something else. So we, we come back to that, we come back to PayPal, but at this point we have to introduce wife number one. Now, wife number one was um, Justine uh, Wilson. She was a, she was a Canadian, um, they met at university, uh, they had um, six sons together. So unfortunately, um, they tragically, the, the, the first son died um, in, in 2002, but they then went on to have another five sons. Um, and it turns out that um, in the Musk line, there seems to be a lot of um, sort of twins going on. So um, so first thing he had was, um, was Griffin and Xavier, um, a couple of twins in 2004. Um, and then he had triplets, Damien, Saxon and Kai, um, in 2006, and then for whatever reason, um, not relevant here, he then divorced um, Justine in 2008. So that's wife number one and the first, um, what is it, six, the six sons, um, five of which are surviving. Okay, so he's now created um, x.com with the money that he got out of um, Zip2. Now, what I find so interesting about that is the logic that he used in order to go for a payment company next. Because I told you in the first company, he's essentially just recreating the analog world in a digital format. And even though he was the first to do it, that, that by itself was, was not especially remarkable. What the vision for x.com was, and why he decided that I need to make a payment company, was not how you and I might Start, have a business idea because what we might do is we say okay I'd like to start a business what do I know about you know where, where's my skill set where does it lend me oh, oh this thing I think I can I can think I can make a business out of this no his logic was okay so we've got um, we've got the internet which is a thing which is growing at a rapid rate at the time it was the fastest um, technology growth rate of any technology that had, that, that had ever been around so we could see that this thing was rising. So we wanted to do. So we knew he had to do something in in internet, um, and he he was originally looking at things which are more content based. But because the bandwidth was so low, if you remember back to the early two thousands, you know even even internet radio was 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 stuttery. Uh, video was was nowhere near. Images were very very difficult to do because of that extremely constrained bandwidth. So his logic was okay. What is something which requires um, minimal possible bandwidth but has maximum possible um, value in the internet world 
which is like a rising tide that will carry all boats. You know, what, what do I make out of this? And that logic led him to say, okay, well, we need, it needs to be a payment company. It needs to be a, um, a, 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 a electronic money, essentially, um, which led to the logic of X.com, which became PayPal. Um, it's interesting, the other characters, because he already had this idea. And then, then he started meeting some other people. One of the people he met was a guy called Peter, Peter Thiel. Now, those two met at an Ayn Rand conference. Um, I'm sure you know Ayn Rand, but for those of you who don't, she was uh, a very based, um, you know, one of our people, um, author uh, of an earlier era who, um, well, I won't get too much into her philosophy, but, but she was, she, she's on the right economically. Um, very sensible um, people who like brokenomics would, would like Ayn Rand if, if they don't already know her, which I'm, I'm sure most of you do. So he meets Peter Thiel at an Ayn Rand conference. Now, you don't go to an Ayn Rand conference unless you are um, one of us, basically. So, so, he, um, so he meets Peter um, Thiel there. And, and Peter Thiel is, is super based. If you ever listen to him talk, um, especially some of his earlier interviews. I mean, he is, he is, again, very much one of our people. He has gone on to create companies that are suspicious, which I will, will talk about in time. But, but Peter Thiel absolutely gets the Brokenomics thesis. He gets um, the Fed. He gets fiat money. He, he gets all of that stuff, and he talks eloquently about it. And what they initially set out to do, and this is not coming from Elon, but this is coming from Peter Thiel after they've, they've come together, um, is he describes that they needed to create a parallel financial system that could sit outside of this broken one, which is broken for all of the reasons that we've talked about here on Brokenomics. Um, and, and this all comes from a, a 1999 talk that you can, you can look up, um, where, where, he, where he goes into some of the background of his, of his ideology. It was a few years later that they then went on to um, create PayPal together. But you can see how his logic was, was evolving. Uh, and there needs to be a, a payment system um, that sits out of this. Now, they didn't actually end up achieving that. And actually, what he was describing is basically Bitcoin, although Bitcoin didn't exist at the time. But the the logic that he was going through leads you to to Bitcoin. But they were trying to do. They were trying to do, originally Bitcoin, but without. Um, solving the Byzantine generals problem, which is how can you, which, which, which is what uh, blockchains and, and Bitcoin does, which is how can you have digital scarcity? So they, they were trying to do a um, alternative payment rail that was lived inside the existing structure. So without the breakthrough that was Bitcoin, um, it was um, a, 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 the right idea. It was the right focus. Uh, but it can never be delivered through to its um, to its logical conclusion what they wanted to get out of it. So so let, let's build into this. So so he so after Zip2, he creates X.com, um, and X.com was well basically it was the, it was the first um, or or maybe one of the first, but it was very early on one of the first online banks. Um, it was it, it, I mean, it was an FDIC um, insured. It, I mean, it got its bank charter. It, it, it's got all of that stuff. So, so X.com was a, was a, was a, was a proper bank. Um, and in uh, a year later, so X.com then acquired Coinfinity, which was a software company um, that, that that did money transfers. And the money transfer bit of that was called PayPal, right? And the PayPal service, well, I mean, you, you know PayPal, but it, it basically allows users to send money to each other 
via you know palm pilots or emails or, or, or whatever it is and then a year after that i think they started to understand the traction that they were getting with this and this is typical in young in, in young businesses you set out with with a brand an identity and a mission and then basically you see whether where where you're getting traction and you pivot um i mean so many companies like this they what what they actually end up focusing is not what the original focus of the business was because you have to be responsive to what, what's getting traction. And obviously what they found is what was getting traction was this, this PayPal um, bit within it. And so they basically threw the weight behind that. So and, uh, one more year later, so 2001, they then uh, changed the name of x.com to PayPal. But he obviously likes the name x.com. And you know we, we, we talk about how that has, has recently made a, a, uh, a comeback. So anyway, so that was growing... Um, like stink. I mean, it was it was absolutely taking off. So so they they, they did the right thing. So to pivoting to this brand. Um, another year later, so two thousand and two, uh, PayPal had its initial public offering. So basically, the the uh, initial investors and you know Musk and Thiel uh, would have um, raised money or possibly sold some of their their existing shares to the stock market essentially. Um, so so that that PayPal became a, a listed company. Um, and and you know what they did is they basically um, revolutionised online payments. So so before PayPal, sending money online was I mean it was really complicated back then, and and it became very easy for individuals, businesses to send and receive money online with with basically just an email address. Now PayPal today, I mean it's it's a major online payment process. I mean it is it is it is dominant. I mean it really is. It has millions of users. Um, you know, a whole bunch of services. I mean, the, the online payments things, but also money transfers and credit and all that kind of stuff. The PayPal of today has most definitely lost its way. So uh, it wasn't that long ago. Um, what was it? It was no, it was last year. It was October last year. They came out and they said that um, they were going to fine you two thousand five hundred dollars if you expressed anywhere on the internet an opinion that they didn't like. Um, Misinformation, I think they called it, but you know that, that's basically just an opinion with it that, that, that they don't like. There was then a massive backlash against that, and they said, "Oh no, sorry, we've made a mistake. We never intended to do it." They waited for the backlash to die down, and then by by the end of the month, so it was all. I mean, this was whole thing was wrapped up in a month. Within a month, they basically bought it back again, and it was quietly reinstated. So um, I I have closed down my uh, PayPal account. I won't go anywhere near that again. So so that the company today is. Um, is is pretty bloody awful, but but luckily for uh, Musk and Thiel, well, I mean they got out twenty years ago, so they sold it to eBay in two thousand and two. Um, Musk owned a little under twelve percent of it at the time, and um, oh, what did they sell it for? One point one point five billion they sold it for. So Musk walked away with with one hundred and sixty five uh, million um, from from the sale of that. You know, which which was nice, a nice, nice bigger, nice bigger payday. Actually, it's also worth talking about um, not not just Musk, his story with that, but um, uh, what what we now call the PayPal mafia, because there was a whole bunch of interesting characters who who came out of PayPal, and this is often the case with with one of these companies that that gets acquired, and the original founders get a huge payday, especially if they're young, because invariably what these people then do is they then go off and they start another business i mean musk this was musk's second business having come out of zip2 um, but there was a whole bunch of other people that, that are worth, worth talking about so so peter phil that we've already mentioned i mean he's done loads of things i mean he's, he's got loads of 
um, seed money investments, venture capital, all that kind of stuff. Um, so he, he's active in, in a whole bunch of things. I mean, he was active. He was an investor and he was active in, in Facebook. Um, I mean, he was on the board until relatively recently. Um, he founded Palantir Technologies, which is the thing that I alluded to, which is uh, interesting because Palantir is basically a is, is a software company that does big data analytics. And most of its um, clients are governments, basically. So it's used, um, I mean, if you look at the website, it's, it's used in things like counterterrorism, fraud detection, um, fraud detection in elections and a whole bunch of stuff. But it's very easy to look at that and its connections to the security agencies and wonder what's going on here. Because if you, if you listen to young Peter Till, he is, he is absolutely our guy. He's super based. He gets all of this stuff. And actually, if you listen to him at um, you know, Bitcoin conferences today, again, he's you know, super based our guy kind of thing. But here he is running a company which is very intelligence agency adjacent and all its big clients are businesses. So, he, I mean, Palantir is basically like the eye of Sauron. So, you know, uh, what's going on there? I, I, I guess I need to research it more or, or try and figure out what's going on um, because, you know, that that is an interesting paradox. Um, if you are going to have somebody running the eye of Sauron, um, I'd want it to be Peter Thiel. But all the same, what happened? Did, did, did he pivot? Does, is he still... What, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. But but anyway, interesting character, um, if we can get to the bottom of, of, of what he's doing there at Palantir. A um, whole bunch of other people came out of PayPal as well. So Hoffman, Reed Hoffman, yes, Reed Hoffman. He founded LinkedIn, um, another big business that came out. There was a guy called Max... Uh, Levichin, and he went off and he founded Slide, um, which was then sold to Google. He then teamed up with another couple of guys um, to create Yelp. Um, yeah, those guys that, that did Yelp, that was um, Jeremy and Russell something. Um, they Yeah, they, they went on to found um, Yelp, which is obviously a big business. David Sachs. Um, Sachs is an interesting character. Um, I, I, I like Sachs. So David is, he, he then effectively became an investor after this, a, a venture capitalist. Um, he founded, um, I mean, well, he also founded Genie.com um, and Yammer, um, which is, you know, which are viable businesses in themselves. But he's been involved in a whole bunch of different um businesses and startups that came out of Silicon Valley. And also he's very sensible on politics. He, um, he he's worth following on Twitter, definitely, because his, his analysis of the, um, the US-Russia-Ukraine um, situation. Um, he's also um, active in politics in giving stages to people like um, Ron DeSantis and more recently uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, so he, he, he's essentially become a bit of a, you know, fundraiser, kingmaker um, to um, Republican politics. Um, and, and, you know, very sensible when you listen to him. Uh, there was a guy called um, um, something Botha, uh, Ralph, Ralph Botha, something like that. And, and he went off to Sequoia Capital, uh, where he basically then um, funded Instagram and Tumblr and Square. So some interesting businesses. And the other big one that came out of it was... Um, there was three guys, um, Stephen Chen, Chad Hurley, and Jared, Jared Karim, right? And they went off and they founded YouTube, which then obviously got sold to, to Google. So 
that whole PayPal mafia, the, 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 the capital that came out of that, you know, spawned some, some remarkable companies in itself. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.